and welcome to Home Lab Show. Oh, the Home Lab Show. Got the full sentence in here, right? And uh, this is episode 20. And this comes out of me asking a question about what's the best tool because, well, Jay already knows. And that's why he's going to be leading a lot of this discussion here. And yeah. I was excited. He shared his screen. And we're going to talk about Home Assistant. And I, I have avoided as much as possible any IoT stuff. And right. every time someone brags about their studio setup and things like that, you know, you watch a video and all the automation some tech YouTubers talking about, it's not about Home Assistant. It's about, oh, I tied it to insert name of your favorite cloud provider. And then in some case, if you go back a little bit through the history of these devices, um, I think it was maybe Home Depot. One of the companies had sold a lot of the devices and then the company that was running the cloud got bought by another company and they dropped right. all the support and you know all the devices quit working because if there's no cloud controller also privacy concerns all your data being there versus well you know in your control and what if someone takes over that cloud and it's externally accessible and this flips your light switches on and off or more dangerously cranks the heat up or turns the heat off or any of those functions that you may have tied to this and uh right this is where it's fun, where we're going to talk about Home Assistant. I'm just excited, like if you couldn't tell. <laughs> Absolutely. There's going to be a lot of fun subtopics that are included in that. And of course, security and privacy is definitely going to be a part of that because you have to consider those things if this is a direction you want to go down. So yeah, we absolutely are looking forward to talking about this. Uh, and one more, because someone said this in the comments, but not, me and Jay laughed about this. So we actually did the show notes on Monday. Prior, and we don't, I don't really, I mean, I know of the channel, of course, everyone knows who Linus Tech Tips is, but I'm not like a regular watcher. And uh, when I started doing some of the notes, we actually realized that Linus had okay. released a video the same day what we put the notes together for this show. So that is a coincidence. Um, this is not coordinated with Linus Tech Tips at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny about that is, you know, I love doing YouTube videos, as everyone knows, but the biggest downside about doing YouTube videos is that I don't get a chance to consume the content that I like, you know, that from other people, videos that other people do. I don't get a chance to do that. So I can't remember the last time I watched a video from Linus. And um, honestly, it's probably been a year um, or even one of your videos. I have like um, <laughs> at least two or three of your videos on my um, watch later list, one of them being the gray log videos. So I need to get that done. Then also the retro gaming videos I'm into. All of that just goes by the wayside. I don't know what you or which YouTuber is doing what, you know, I don't know what they're up to these days. So when Tom posted the video right after we decided to do Home Assistant or linked at Linus's video, I'm like, really? Like, oh, boy. OK, we promise that's a coincidence. But um, yeah, basically, but one. yeah, it is. And, and Tom was here at the studio. The videos were already uploaded when he was here and he got to see some of this in person. And then we were doing a screen share the other day. And then he's like, why don't we do an episode on this? I'm like, OK, let's do it. So, yeah. Um, but first, we've got to talk about Linode because oh, they're sponsoring yes. the podcast, and yes. um, that's an important thing. But Linode is awesome. I don't uh, take sponsors lightly. There's a vetting process. And when they partnered with Learn Linux TV to do um, you know, sponsored ads on there, it's like, well, yeah, I'm already using you guys, so it's a big win for me. It's kind of easy to talk about something that you're already using. And they are the platform of choice for all the web-facing websites for Learn Linux TV, as well as this podcast. So when we tell you to go in, you know, take advantage of the free credit to get your account started, it's not like we're one of those YouTubers or, you know, content providers that hate the product and it's like, well, we got to mention it because of the thing. No, we like it. We actually use it. And you are using it as well if you are on our website. So we're drinking the Kool-Aid. Linode is awesome. 
They have a marketplace, one-click apps to get you going. You can set up custom uh, Linux servers, even Arch Linux, which I love that so much. Like, who else gives you access to an Arch Linux server? We have to take Wait, a moment. Wait, Arch? Yeah, there, yeah, Arch is an option. Like, can we just think about for a minute, like, how much maintenance must go into providing you, everyone an image for Arch Linux that they're going to have to continually update? That I'm sure that's no small task. And I want a meme now that says, by the way, Linode supports Arch. <laughs> <laughs> insert joke here. <laughs> I think they need to capitalize on this and say, hey, I run Arch and put that right on their website and just wear the t-shirts and just totally uh, make people know that. But um, yeah, the yeah, really great things to say about Linode. So definitely check them out. Yep. So we have offer code down below if you're interested in signing up for Linode to get you started, to get you a few hours on their servers and some uh, time. So it's definitely, for a lot of the projects we talk about, if you need something in the cloud, and there will be an upcoming video about uh, some cloud things too. And I have a couple ideas for some future videos about running your own VPN, of course. Because if you've noticed me and Jay, as he said, we don't take sponsors lately. We also don't shill other VPN companies all the time because I think they're a little oversold a bit. Right. And uh, what's all we'll say about that for now. <laughs> One of them reached out to me about a year ago and I was thinking about doing it, but then I'm like, yeah, but if they get breached, honestly, that's going to be a lot of work to go back through all the videos and just warn everyone if that happens. And I'm not trying to do that. So that's kind of hard to partner with the VPN company because they might be great right now, but maybe, you know, next week you get yeah. that in the news and not so good. Um, speaking Almost of content, though. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that real quick. But I do want to give you guys a quick announcement, a little teaser I'm going to announce right now that I am doing a Proxmox series on Learn Linux TV. It's filming right now. There's going to be at least 15 or 16 episodes. It might There might be more, it might be less by the time I get them edited, but I think it's going to be around 16. I'm about 10 episodes deep in the filming process right now. So as soon as I get the filming process done, which is actually going to wrap today, I'm going to start um, editing those videos and they might even be on the channel within the next two weeks. So just stay tuned for that. A lot of people have been asking for this. I've done Proxmox videos before, but this is a little bit more in depth. I don't remember how many episodes I had in the last series. I think four or five, just a guess. I mean, there's 15 or 16 in this one. So it's going um, it's going to go pretty deep. So just stay tuned for that. And now we can talk about Home Assistant. Well, we also should let you know, for those of you that are looking to contact us, reach out and feedback for the show, we do have mm -hmm. the feedback form set up on the homelab.show website, and we'll have it linked down below. And as someone pointed out, because we announced it last time, I had the uh, I had things broken. They're all fixed. Right. <clears throat> they were fixed within, if you listen to the last show, uh, about 10 minutes after the show, I fixed the URL because I accidentally set it to private when we were in testing. So <laughs> right. we want we want two things from you guys that are listening. Number one, we want your questions. We want to do a Q&A episode. We can only do that if we have enough questions. We were looking at it last night. We had some good questions on there, but we don't really feel like we had enough to justify a Q&A episode. Yep. I think you guys can help with that. So if you want to submit some questions, definitely do that. And also as well, if you have any topics you think we should cover, you can go ahead and suggest those. Not as important because um, obviously we'll get to those um, suggestions for sure. But the more immediate need is the questions that you guys might have. So if you have this weird situation, you don't know why it's not working, um, something we didn't answer before or may not have answered before, just um, go ahead and put your question there. Yeah, and each is a, and if you want to have a more engaging discussion, both of us have forums. So if there's a video you watched of ours, uh, you can go over to our forums. And also that's kind of a more back and forth public discourse. But if it's just general questions, you can feel free to use the forum. And uh, that's about it. All right, now let's talk about the home assistant. Home assistant. So 
this is one of those projects that I really love for many reasons. And it's also one of those things I wasn't sure if we were going to cover because it kind of home assistant sets in between, you know, home lab and non-home lab. I mean, just your normal home automation, that's what it's for. But there's some overlap here. If you if you have a home lab, you might be interested naturally in automating your light bulbs. I mean, after you automate your servers, maybe you might want to automate your light switches and all those other things too. Why not? Why not automate all the things? And home assistant is missing piece of that puzzle. Um, but I mean, yeah, is, is it home? Is it home lab related? Yes and no at the same time. But I think it's one of those things that we kind of do need to address. And one another thing you could do is automate your you know servers and things like that with it too. You can have it automatically power on servers if you want, uh, power them off. It supports wake on land. There's all kinds of things it can do. But let's rewind a little bit and talk about what the heck Home Assistant even is in the first place for those people that don't know. So Home Assistant is an application and a Linux distribution in a container. It's all those things. So I know that's confusing. So what Home Assistant itself does is allows you to basically automate your home. So if you have um, you know, smart bulbs, smart plugs, or whatever smart devices that you might have, Home Assistant's goal is to give you one dashboard to automate those things. So you could have a dashboard for your office, your den, your bedroom, kitchen, and have controls in each of those dashboards that allow you to toggle things on, toggle things off. But it goes beyond that because you can add your thermostat on there. Um, you could also synchronize things to the sunrise and sunset cycles in your area. So for example, here at my house, we have a um, light in the yards on a, uh, on a pole. So it just lights up the driveway basically. And it was such a pain because it was connected to this, this weird apparatus that's really old and it's just hard to figure out how to change the time when daylight savings occurs. So I just had the wire cut, put it into a smart plug and put it in Home Assistant. And then in Home Assistant, I tell it that when sunset happens, I want it on. And when sunrise happens, I want it to go off. And I never have to set it again. I never have to worry about it. So those are some of the things you could do. And there's so many more things because if you could think about it, it could probably do it. Well, and let's start with the hardware, because one of the yeah. things that was a little bit confusing to me, and uh, you run yours on a Raspberry Pi, am I correct, Jay? I did, yeah. um, but not anymore. So um, right now I'm running it as a Proxmox VM. Okay. So that's a little bit more complicated. I'll explain how I have that set up in just a moment, but let's go back a lower level just so people can understand. So the easiest way to get started with Home Assistant is Raspberry Pi. They have an entire operating system. You can just flash onto an SD card and that's it. You just put the SD card in there, um, set a static IP or static lease for your Raspberry Pi, and you're all set. You have Home Assistant. It's all set and ready to go. Underneath the hood, it's using containers, which is pretty cool. It's pretty smart about that too. There's the uh, supervisor component that you know handles the management side of things. Um, they call it the, I think they used to call it Hass OS. So Home yeah. Assistant OS, but... I don't really think they're using that name anymore. It's Home Assistant Operating System, but it may as well be HasOS at this point. So you can download that onto an SD card. They have images for VirtualBox, for other virtualized or virtualization solutions out there. And um, they also have, and I have it pulled up on my computer, I believe, but they have a Home Assistant Blue, I believe it's called. Yeah, that's what it is. So for 140 US dollars, you can buy this blue box. I don't have one. Um, spoiler, I might be getting one 
it's kind of in the beginning stages of the discussion right now, I might be able to review this. I don't know if it's going to happen, but if you don't really feel like setting up a Raspberry Pi and going through all that, you can just purchase the Home Assistant Blue. It is $140 um, is what I'm seeing here. It's running on an Odroid N2 Plus. So four gigs of DDR4 and 128 gigs of eMMC storage. Um, as now, a, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, in, in, as well, if you when you go down to the download and setup on there, they have a long list of the different devices they support. Um, Odroid being on there, Raspberry Pi. They, they there's a handful of like the single board computers that they support, so you can kind of pick your platform. And they do have, um, and Jay will probably talk more about this. I don't know if you downloaded the VM image, uh, but they have VM images, including one for Proxbox. Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that. So that either didn't exist or I, I wasn't able to find it when I went through and set it up on Proxmox. So it wasn't easy for me. So now that they have a Proxmox image, it's, I'm sure it's going to be easy. I ended up finding a GitHub project, which I pretty I can't remember which one or what it was named, but basically it allows you to SSH into your Proxmox server. And it's like a curl command, which I know curl commands are bad, but you know I've edited it, I looked at it, it looked fine. And I ran it, and what it did actually is, is pretty cool, is it created a template for Home Assistant right in Proxmox. So then I have the template of the unconfigured Home Assistant, and then I just create a, I created an a initial VM from that template, and then that's what I use now. But now that they have an image that's, you know, for Proxmox, I think that's going to be a lot easier for people. And, you know, I'm, hope, I'm hoping at least you won't have to go to do that curl command. So that's what I'm using it on right now. Now, at, now to get... Uh, we need to talk about security a little bit. We can talk about it more later, but yeah. uh, just kind of like at a quick summary, I don't trust IoT devices and I don't think anyone should. So I have a VLAN on my network that is for IoT devices. So the smart TVs, all that, they don't have access to the rest of the network or the devices. They can get out to the internet. That's all they can do. Now, Home Assistant is kind of unique because, you know, it's an IoT device, but you also need to control it too. You, you need to get out, get onto your web browser access it and, you know, configure it and, and press the buttons. Otherwise, if you can't access it, what's the point? So the way I set it up is that it has two network interfaces on the VM. It has one to the standard uh, management interface um, that I can access to the desktop. It's not going to allow cross traffic there. Um, well, I mean, it kind of does, kind of doesn't. We're getting into subnetting and permissions and firewall rules at this point. But long story made short, it has a connection to the IoT network. So Home Assistant is the only exception here. It can access, I can access it through my desktop and it can access the IoT devices. So it's kind of like a bridge between the two things. This is very complicated and most people won't need to do this, but if you have a way to keep it separate, um, at least for your IoT devices themselves, I do recommend that because a lot of times, I mean, you really don't know what the firmware is doing on these things. So it's probably just a good idea to keep them separate. Yeah. Now. And I will segue a little bit here because Jay is not running it this way, but the way I ordered parts, and I will be doing a video in the future, um, but we did just do reading. I ordered the uh, setup, so we're going to be using Z-Wave with my home assistant. And what that is, it, this is there's two different protocols, like B and Z-Wave, and they both work off of a USB dongle that you can plug into the home assistant system. So this is where I'm running mine on a Raspberry Pi. We plug in the Z-Wave device and then all, instead of being a, like an IoT network that connects to your Wi-Fi, they instead will connect to your Z-Wave devices. So this creates like a separate network where all the Z-Wave stuff. Now, 
I'm going to have to do a deeper explainer. And I asked her reading enough about Z-Wave and Zigbee. It could probably be its own episode on those protocols, I realized. But in short, it's a different way of interacting. So the way Jay is set up, they're all connected to his Wi-Fi network, the, the smart plugs and different devices. And simultaneously, his home assistant is connected to that same subnet. Therefore, right. it can talk to those. Um, if you do it something like a Zigbee or Z-Wave device, that's a separate network, and then you're bridging that network via that. So the devices don't need to be or have anything to do with your Wi-Fi. Matter of fact, you can build, if you have a Z-Wave system, you can have no Wi-Fi at all. I believe the same for Zigbee. You could just connect everything hardline, such as a Raspberry Pi hardlined in. Um, and what I don't have a clear answer, but it's obviously very debated in the forums and it's going to take me buying some parts to do is people are going to know actual, what's the most compatible, which are the best ones to run. And for both B and J, that becomes a complicated topic. And it's also a complicated right. topic within there. So we're not going to spend a ton. We'll talk about a little bit, but it's something yeah. that we're not going to be able to dive in depth in just for brevity and scope of this particular podcast. <laughs> right. So yeah, we do have to touch on it a little bit, but I agree. Yeah. I think, um, before we talk about that, it's important to, to understand integrations because that's what makes Home Assistant yes. able to do what it does. It can integrate with different things. And Home Assistant by itself, without integrations, it can do some stuff, right? But it can't do much. So you have two choices. Generally, you can have a device with custom firmware, which is great. You own the firmware. I mean, you don't have to worry about it um, being naughty because you have a firmware and it's open source, which is great. Um, or it could just tie into another platform. So um, that's why it's a little complicated. But um, to summarize it, if you have a thermostat like a Honeywell or an Ecobee, for example, it has an integration for Honeywell. It has an integration for Ecobee. So regardless of which one of those you purchase, and there's many others that you can buy, you install the integration for that thing. And then if you are, you know, I don't know, Philips, Hulites, or whatever it is you're using, yeah. you look for an integration for that. So you, you decide basically, do you want to just buy something from Amazon that's a certain platform and then hook Home Assistant into that? You could do that. There's nothing wrong with that inherently by default. That's fine. Or do you want to go through the extra work and look for these devices that you can write custom firmware to or jailbreak, so to speak, that's going to be more work. Of course, I decided to do that more on yeah. that later. <laughs> but, um, you know, you have that choice. Now, as Tom mentioned earlier, you, I mean, there is a cat and mouse game here because a lot of these, if not most of these manufacturers, they don't want you to do that. They don't want you to have full control over the devices. So, um, and this has happened to me. It's like, I have a platform, I purchased it. I was able to load custom, custom firmware on these things. And then I order another set from Amazon like a year later, and then I can't I can't jailbreak break them right now because they added something in the firmware, and now the tools that I've been using to hack them they need to up, get updated to support this. And I'm sure they're working on it. It just takes time. It's a cat and mouse game. Do you want to be in on that cat and mouse game, or just buy something that you know set it and forget it? That's yeah. really up to you. You have to make that decision for yourself just how much work you want to put into this and how important custom firmware might be for you. Yeah, and to expand on that a little bit, an example is going to be the TP-Link. I can't remember the exact models they are, but this is where it gets a little bit confusing. They have some home automation devices. They have ones that without connecting to TP-Link, TP-Link's cloud servers where they normally would reside, you can have Home Assistant talk to them directly on a network. But then if you bought them and followed the forums further, at some point there is a firmware change they made that broke 
home assistant's ability to talk to them. But then you have to go find the old firmware, which apparently a few people have linked to and available in the forums and downgrade it. So there's two ways home assistant can talk to a device, native and local. There's one option. So the device is on your network and it talks to it locally. You can talk to it, of course, through the, as I mentioned before, Zigbee or Z-Wave protocols. Those are other ways you can have it talk to it. Then you can talk to it through APIs. And I'll throw that out there because this is kind of an interesting thing that I've learned how it works as well. It, it can talk to my Tesla, not natively as if my Tesla, my car is on the same network. No, but you can get my Tesla API key and my Tesla talks right. to Tesla cloud and then home assistant Tesla included has a long list of cloud services it supports. So home assistant runs inside of your network or wherever you put it, but then can reach out through API calls to talk to other devices that may not be able to talk locally to it. This is why it's kind of like at some point I'm going to have to create like a visual graph of all the ways it can connect to try and break right. it down. Um, but it's one of those things that it's, you kind of surprise all the uh, lists of support. And the good news is they have good documentation on their site. So you can really type in something you may already have. If you're thinking about getting home assistant, like Ecobees, I believe Nest is even in there. Yep. It, even though we can't talk natively to Nest, it'll talk through Google's API that talks to Nest. So you can have levels of integration with it that doesn't really solve your privacy concerns you may have with something like a Nest, but it does give you levels of control uh, for those particular devices. Yep, and that's a decision. That's that's part of the process, right? You want to, you want to get this going. Um, our, our goal isn't to, you know, tell you guys that it's so much work, it's so much research to go into this um, to make you like not want to. You definitely should check this out, but um, to keep it simple, just make your decision. Do you want custom firmware or not? Um, how much do you trust the manufacturer of the devices that you're thinking about buying? You can just ask some questions, or just better yet, search the forums for Home Assistant because. Maybe someone's already asked, and, and, you, and the answer is right there. You're thinking about, you know, product X, you want to get that, and someone's already tried it out, and this is their experience, then it might not actually take that much work. Yeah. So. Now, quick side note on when Jay says custom firmware. Good news is there's documentation on how to do this. Right. There are a couple uh, pins, essentially, you have to gain access to on some of the plugs. And then you connect in, and you, we can either solder to it, or if you have the little micro clips, you can clip onto the pins that are on there. And then there are tools out there to flash these custom firmwares. So yep. not all the devices that I looked up, matter of fact, it seemed like the majority ones I looked up just require you to jumper these pins and push a firmware to it. So it's not it, it sounds daunting because if you've never done that before, that's obviously scary, um, but it's actually kind of cool uh, watching it work. And I did find a few people, if you just type in like the device you're looking at, there's people who have some pretty basic YouTube videos that show you where the pins are or just forum posts with pictures and you see what to do. And then the cables you need to connect to your computer to push the firmware and reflash these plugs because there's a common... I don't even know if it's open source, but at least a common operating system. I can't remember the name of it. It's got like Talo something. Is it Talo? It's got a strange name. Uh, sorry, I'll leave it in the show notes down below, but it's it's how you actually swap the firmware on them. <laughs> yeah, I used a tool called Tuya Convert, T-U-Y-A Convert. Tula. Yeah, that's yeah, it. That, that one didn't require any wiring or breaking things open or anything. It was, you know, just follow the instructions. You just, um, it's like you join a Wi-Fi network on a smartphone and you use your smartphone to bridge something. I don't know how, how exactly it works, but you just follow the instructions with the smartphone and with this thing that you download from GitHub, you execute a script, you're, you're connected on your smartphone, and then you push the firmware. So yes. it's, when it works, it's easy. 
when you can't do something like that, that's when you start to have to break out some cables and, yep. and exacto blade and, and whatever else you need to break into the device, literally break into the device. Um, yeah, physically, physically break it. Well, you can just take yeah. it apart and there's instructions how to take them apart. Uh, Taz Moda is the yep. firmware software. That's a word that was a tip on my tongue. <laughs> there's also ESP Home in addition to that. So there's two. I use ESP Home. It, there's no specific reason for that. It's just um, flip a coin. It, okay, that's the one I went with. Yeah, and it's what works with your devices, obviously, which you have to go with. <laughs> yeah, which is true. A lot of times that's the case. I guess with mine, you can go either way, actually, but yeah. um, that's not common. Um, so, you know, just choose accordingly. So um, one thing that I think is a deciding factor that, that everyone needs to take into consideration when you're buying devices is whether or not it supports power monitoring. So mm. I personally will not buy a smart plug or a smart device that doesn't support that because it's so cool. Like every smart plug in the house supports this. So I know how much, you know, how much in Watts power is going through everything. So I could tell you how much power my office is using or my turtle tanks even. I mean, I, I got it on everything. So if I want to know why my power bill is so high, I can literally just go to the actual room that's using the most power and get a graph and look at that, which is just so cool to be able to do that. But if your smart plugs don't support power monitoring, then you won't be able to do that. Another thing is to know how many amps you are pushing through a plug or a socket because if you buy a smart plug that doesn't support that much or that amount of power, eh, bad things are going to happen. So just keep in mind if you have a kilowatt meter or a general um, idea of what kind of power is going through something, um, just match that with the specs on the thing that you're thinking about buying just to make sure you're not trying to overload something. So there's a few t tips on when you're buying things. Yeah. And you want to make sure you can, most of them have the amperage. Uh, it seems like the, a lot of them by default are 15 amps yep. is the majority of ones I've seen. And you always want to go over. So you want to have a device that supports more than the amperage you plan to push through that particular device. You don't want to risk it. And also, uh, as we know, with some of the more off brandy type things yeah. that, uh, May, they may say 15 amps. I don't know that that's been verified. <laughs> I do know there's some forum posts about ones that melted. So <laughs> just, just charge your Tesla through it and see if it survives. Yeah, see if that survives. You know, let's put 40 amps through it. <laughs> yeah, let's try that. If it, if it, if it stands at that test, then I think we're all right. So, mm -hmm. um, so now we can kind of get into some more of the other sides of um, Home Assistant that I like so much. So the dashboard is great. I'm blanking on the name of the dashboard, honestly, um, or what it uses. But um, at first you get like one dashboard and it's like all the things and it's just super cluttered. It's like, you got like 20 smart plugs and, you know, a thermostat and all these things. They're all on this one page, but you can literally create a dashboard for each room in your house. So you can have one for your office, your den, your bedroom, whatever you want to do. You, you could, you could decide that on my end, I have, you know, one for every room, but you could also do tabs on your dashboard too. So I have power usage current as a tab and power usage daily as a tab. So I can, on the first tab, I could toggle things on and off. The second tab, I can see what their power they're using right now. Third tab, a little history about the power usage. And it works for me like that. Um, but you can get as creative as you want or just set it and forget it and use it as it is. Um, but if you think about it, you could have all of your lights in the house aligned to the sun, you know, sunrise and sunset. It's not just like the outside uh, light that I mentioned, right? So you could have your den lights turn on when it's, you know, sunset. You could have them tur turn on and be about 50% brightness. And then as the, you know, as it gets darker outside, the lights increase in brightness. And then if you're never awake at 1 a.m., you can cut all the lights off in your house. And then you'll find yourself not really reaching for light switches 
ever because it just happens. And that's just such a great thing. Another thing they can do is hook into televisions. So you could turn on your television through Home Assistant as well. Now, of course, I don't know about you. If I'm sitting in the den, I'm not trying to get up, walk into the office, you know, boot the computer, open Home Assistant just to turn the TV on. It's faster to reach for the remote. But if you have a tablet or or even a Raspberry Pi with a screen, you could you could create a wall-mounted, and I plan on doing this, I haven't done it yet, but you can create a wall-mounted Star Trek-style dashboard touchscreen with Home Assistant loaded and just tap the lights in the room, turn on the TV, turn off the TV, turn on the lights, turn off the lights. So um, that's pretty cool. And in my case, in the recording studio, all the lights are on that. So I could I could do that, I turn the lights on and off. I have a um, LED on-air recording light that I could turn on. But another thing you could do is set up a scene, which is basically kind of like a collection. So I could create a scene called recording time and it could turn on the TV wake on land my um, recording PC, turn on my studio lights and uh, turn on that red on-air recording um, LED as well and do all of that. If my camera was able to hook into it, I could probably have that automated as well. But you, you can go pretty deep into this and you'll be surprised just how many devices actually integrate with Home Assistant. They're really doing a great job with integrating to all the things as much as they can. Well, and let's go a step further. You can chain events together. And if you're not familiar with like tools, such as if this, then that yep. it's a very similar, but you get to host it in your home assistant. You could set up motion monitors. For example, there's a lot of devices outside of just smart plugs or smart monitoring. I can do, but you could set up motion devices that do things like, Hey, we've noticed motion is room, uh, activate these things. So you can say, activate the lights and that way, when you are out of a room, instead of just having a normal motion light, you can set up rules of it. Uh, Jay even mentioned too, you can have it look for your phone, pinging something on the network. Oh and yeah. Presence detection. Presence detection. It says when your phone joins the Wi-Fi network, turn everything on. When your phone leaves the Wi-Fi network, you clearly have left the building or whatever. You can start turning things off. So when it doesn't detect a device attached to the network, it says, well, you left the home, but you left the lights on. Nobody's home because I can't ping any phones and we'll start turning things off. That's provided you rely, you, you won't just turn your phone off for privacy reasons when you get home because, you know, something might be listening. <laughs> yeah, but you, another thing you could do there too with presence detection, if you have an, an AC, which I think a lot of us do right now because of summer, um, you don't need that, you know, really cool, chill wind going through your house when nobody's home to enjoy it. You can have the AC, assuming you don't have pets that have temperature requirements. You can literally just, oh yeah, I don't care if the temperature's 80 degrees in the house when I'm not home. Who cares? I'm not home. But you can make it so that when you walk in the door, AC kicks on, cools, cools down the house. So that way you're not paying for heat or air conditioning that you're not using right now. And um, you can wake on lanyard servers if you want to. So if you have a home lab and you're not home, maybe you can set, them, set it up to gracefully shut down your servers. So you're not actually using power in your servers, assuming that you don't have backup jobs that are scheduled to run at a certain time. You can just have it shut down everything. Nobody's home. When you get home, everything comes back on. So using Home Assistant um, that way, paired with power monitoring, you can actually potentially lower your power bill and maybe even Home Assistant will pay for itself. 
Yeah, and uh, I've been seeing there's some humidity sensors, so you can go chain more things together uh, where you have humidity sensors combined with some other sensors to create events based on that. Do we, do we turn an extra fan on, some level of circulation? And for people uh, like myself, especially my old house, we were in an edge of a floodplain, essentially, so uh, making sure that there was no moisture in certain areas of the house when we had right. these heavy rains. Because if, if you haven't followed the weather, uh, like me and Jay do here in Michigan, uh, we've yeah. had some flooding. <laughs> so. Uh, being able to monitor for that with your home assistant and you know send alerts to you these it's some really cool stuff that you can do on there yeah i don't i don't know about you i, I actually don't pay attention to the weather at all <laughs> um, we have four seasons cold colder coldest and hot here in michigan yeah. That's our, those are our seasons um <laughs> in construction but um but yeah i mean you can use home assistant in some really creative ways and it's one of those things and this is what i love the most you keep finding new ways or new things to do with it it, it just starts with a few smart plugs okay that's great then you buy more smart plugs and you buy smart bulbs and you're buying this and you're buying that. You can buy it over time. You don't have to buy anything all at once, but you'll find yourself kind of coming up with some new ideas, which is um, actually great. Someone in the chat room mentioned Lovelace as the name of the dashboard or the, the type of dashboard that this uses, which is true. So thank you. Uh, several people mentioned that. So that's the type of dashboard that it uses. You can create a bunch of dashboards in there. And um, a couple other things I want to mention, there's a store where you can download third-party things if there's something that's not covered by an integration. My favorite is the Google Drive backup. It's my favorite, but it's also not. I don't really like Google Drive, to be honest, but um, Home Assistant is kind of hard to back up via conventional means because what I think about is I have TrueNAS, and Home Assistant itself has a backup utility built in that will take a backup of itself. And that backup is great because you could literally re you could just install Home Assistant, restore that backup. That's it. It's it's that good. It has literally everything in there. Problem is, you know, you you have it on an SD card or whatever your Home Assistant device is using. The disk dies. You lose the backups along with Home Assistant. So you want to get those backups somewhere else. And and this is one thing that I feel like Home Assistant doesn't really make easy, unfortunately, because what I think about is, oh, I'll just set up a cron job that'll rsync the backup folder along with all the backup files within it to my TrueNAS nightly. So that way I don't worry about it. I could just restore it when I need to. The problem is um, SSH is disabled by default, which is great, but it continually disables SSH over and over again. And it's unreliable because I guess they just hate SSH and they want to kill SSH at any possible opportunity <laughs> that they can. So it's just like, I, I had a monitor for SSH. It's like, oh, it's down again. I have to log in, go into the console, start it. At least at the time I tried, there was no option to automatically start. I think there was, but they took it off. So I'm like, okay, well, there's no rsync protocol or built in, at least when I looked originally that I could use like no rsync daemon to use. So I just didn't have any more time to look. They have a Google Drive backup. You install that. If you are a fan of Google Drive, you'll love it. It'll literally just grab everything in your backup folder and make sure that that's synced up to Google Drive. So at least you have that offsite backup for that. If that's something you want to do, it yeah it makes it hard to roll your own backup system. But it you know just keep that in mind. Another thing that. Um, I want to men mention, I want to make sure everybody knows, because there's a really hilarious story about this, right? Um, ESP Home is what I use, like I mentioned, for custom firmware. If it doesn't detect a Wi-Fi connection, it reboots itself. There's a way around it. I implemented it. It didn't really work out. So what that means is if my Wi-Fi drops, then during a certain interval or whatever, it's going to restart. Like all the smart plugs will reboot. They don't detect an IP address or a ping or anything. They just reboot. It's just how it is. 
So what's funny is I flashed custom firmware to all of my smart plugs and it worked. There was no error. I didn't brick anything. I was like, I, feel, I was feeling great. That feeling when, oh my gosh, it worked. It's so cool. I got custom firmware and all the things and it was so easy to do. And then, um, you know, it's eight o'clock. Me and the kids want to play some video games. So I turn on the PS5. It's time to play some PlayStation. And I, I, I am lucky enough to have a PS5. So we're, they're really excited to play it for the first time, actually. And um, we sit down and the TV cuts off. And then the PlayStation cuts off. And then the lights in the office cut off. And then they cut back on. My, the power to my desktop cuts off. It goes back on. The server rack, off, on, off, on. Next thing you know, every single smart plug in the house is power cycling. And at first, I didn't know what was going on. So I'm like, that's weird. I turn the PlayStation back on, cuts off again. What? And then everything else is cutting off again. So here I am sitting down. It's time for some leisure time. Leisure time completely defeated. And what I discovered is that if, if there's no um, Wi-Fi signal, it restarts. But why wasn't there a Wi-Fi signal? Because I also flashed the smart plug that's connected to my um, UPS, that's connected to my internet gear. And when I flash the firmware on that smart plug, what happens is that it defaults to turning off. So you have to go in and manually turn it on the first time, but it turned off, but everything was working fine. I tested it, I go to dinner. Well, of course everything is working fine. The power cut off, but I have a UPS. As soon as that battery drained, Unify access points went down, Unify switches went down, everything on the server rack lost access. Obviously, it was easy. Just go ahead and flick it back on. But you can imagine how frustrating it was to find out the hard way that if it doesn't detect a Wi-Fi signal, it'll reboot everything. So um, just, you know, now you know. So if that yeah. happens to you, things are restarting <laughs> and clicking on and off, just immediately suspect your Wi-Fi connection has some kind of issue. So Yeah, definitely a problem there. In yeah. Uh, to touch on a little bit more, some of the automation tools that you can do right. on there. One of the things I, I will probably be diving into when I uh, get the videos done on Home Assistant, well, first set it up and then do some more diving into, um, is UPS control. I've seen was in there. I don't know if you've tested that, but you can then okay. have your power systems with the UPS uh, to get notifications, but then also create a series of triggered events to shut down or power off things based on the condition of your uh, UPS system. So if you have a server rack and you want to be able to do this and then you tie Home Assistant to be able to shut off certain devices, and this can you know scale upwards if you want to reduce the amount of uh, power draw overall in your house. Because one right. of the things that I've thought about doing at home, big project stuff is actually putting a battery backup at my house. Because um, we, we bought a new house. And that's one of the things, instead of a generator, I was actually thinking, hey, we could go battery backup. But we also have to make sure if you're on that, we put everything down to a minimum power uh, so it lasts longer. And I, I'm looking at building my own Tesla power wall, but I don't know if that's going to be a home lab video or not. I might do yeah. a, video on a channel about it, but um, yeah, that, that's a way way out of scope project, but it, it's still because of, there's so much tying in and integration for so many different power monitoring things. I think it's kind of cool how you can build a intelligent and also a system by which you can actually manage your smart home all inside of something you host yourself. Yeah. And since you mentioned it, I'm not using the UPS features of Home Assistant, but the way I had it set up or I have it set up is the UPS, the USB cable, is actually plugged into my PFSense box because PFSense has an APC UPS app built into it. So that's able to email me as soon as there's a problem with the UPS. I don't remember why I didn't know that. Like, either I wasn't checking my email. I think there's actually a problem with the email server that I was using at the time because I have an SMTP server in PFSense that it uses to send outbound mail 
I don't remember what the issue was at the time. I, I did have that automated to where I was alerted if there's a power issue. But for whatever reason, that particular day, yeah, um, maybe I should test my my gear better, actually. But um, not my finest moment, for sure. But um, <laughs> I thought it'd be kind of humorous. You know, it's just like you, you could just picture me just saying all kinds of swear words that you never hear me say on the air over and over again. I'm really upset. It's time to play games, and I'm boiled. Um but it ended up being a really simple problem, and it's just um, two things. Like I mentioned, it loses Wi-Fi connection, it restarts, but also um, when you flash the custom firmware, it defaults to off as soon as it power cycles. Um, so it is what it is. So. Now, something else that's in there, too, is uh, location tracking. I noticed it has the ability to grab data from different devices. I mentioned it because it's something listed in the Tesla one. And if I'm not mistaken, there's ways you can do geofencing in there to uh, trigger location versus uh, when an action occurs. Is that correct, Jay? I'm not sure, but I think so. So that's a okay. perfect example. I'm glad you brought it up because that's kind of how the workflow works. So you start with a smart plug or two or whatever, and you then you graduate to, you know, at first you're, you're, it's cool. You could just turn it on and off by clicking the button in the interface. Then you graduate to scheduling that. Great. And then you graduate to maybe setting up presence detection. So now it knows in your home. And then maybe you graduated again to something like um, GPS or whatnot. So it seems like everything kind of just naturally builds, like you implement the things. And then after a while, there's just like this natural path that Home Assistant just goes on. And it's just, if you enjoy automating things, it just gives you like this endless enjoyment because there's just so many different tips. And just when you think that you figured it out and you have it all set up, you hear about someone else in a blog or a podcast, a YouTube video or something, and you hear about what they're doing, like, I want to do that too. And then just implement what they're doing in yours. And then um, it's just like the gift that keeps on giving. And I think that's why it's so popular for home lab users, because we like these projects that give us something fun to work on, but also keeps building on itself and just gives us um, repeated enjoyment from. Yeah, and you know, you could build a lot of stuff for automation around things like gardening. And I bring it up. Neither, neither me, and I'm pretty sure Jay's not a gardener either. Um, <laughs> I will be actually, but not right now. But I will be. Yes. Yeah. Some point. Well, we all. That's where we all plan to go and retire as tech people. We're like, all right, we've had enough of this industry. We're all just going to go live on a farm with our friend Phil. <laughs> Anyways, um, the uh, farming stuff, though, there's a lot of. As the reason I'm bad at plants is they need constant attention, and apparently I don't give them that. But these are where I've seen some cool projects that get me excited. Like I could be a tech gardener because if you build automation around it, it has that ability to detect. And it's like you know what, this needs to be watered, and you tie that together. Like Jay said, you go down the rabbit hole of why not get a moisture detector? Why not detect how much moisture is in the soil so it doesn't overwater it because maybe it was going to rain and then it goes ahead and does all of that. Or maybe you tie in weather prediction. If it predicts rain, skip the watering because even though the water saturation is not good now, we're predicting rain and then go back and check that. It's, oh boy, you can build some fun stuff with this. Yeah, there's so many things you can do. Um, and I, I just love it. I know I'm. there's a lot of things I'm, I'm forgetting. And as soon as we stop recording, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't mention this or mention that. Um, it's something that I do recommend, um, if this does interest you, that you get started. I think, like, the easiest way to get started is to buy some smart plugs. I mean, you could buy smart outlets and actually change the outlets in your house if you know how to do that and you know how to you know do that safely. Definitely go for it. But it's probably cheaper just to buy a few smart plugs. You can usually get a pack of four or something like that. And then if you already have a Raspberry Pi, then you're most of the way there already. You could just load a Home Assistant OS on that and uh, get that going if you want to, or just buy that blue box that they sell if you want to go that direction. 
But I think that's probably the easiest way to go. And after you get the hang of setting up those plugs, then you can, I don't know, maybe add some smart bulbs to it. And then if you want to change your outlets, you could do that. If you want to integrate your TV, your game systems, your Roku, whatever it is, you can, you can start doing that too. And you'll be surprised how many things that you already have in your house that it'll integrate with. And then next thing you know, it's like, hey, look what I can do. Um, I think that one thing that's really hard for most people is, um, I hate to call it this, but it, it's it's so true. It's like the spouse approval factor because, um, you know, and it's not just like the spouse. If you have one, it, it's like anyone in your house, right? You you have you might have kids, a friend, a, a you know, so um, someone living with you, whatever. Um, they're used to just flipping the switch on, so. You know, if you automate this, then people have to get used to not doing that. And that you'd be surprised how hard of a habit that is to break. But one thing you can do to make it a little bit easier, if you actually replace the smart switches with or the actual switches for your lights with a smart switch, yeah. then that that doesn't create that confusion because you can literally have something on like without a smart switch. They flip the switch up to turn the light on. Light doesn't come on. Why? Well, because it's automated and they cut the power to it. That's bad because now there's no power going to the smart plug anymore. So then the light's not automated anymore. So rather you can either try to get people out of the habit of doing that, or you could just get these smart switches that are smart enough to know it's supposed to be on right now. So um, it, it just becomes an override switch at that point if you need that. So um, that could be something that's a little hard to get used to. But I think people will enjoy the fact that um, it just makes your house more homely because you just – you know, the sun sets, the lights start to go on and you don't touch it. It just makes you feel more at home, at least it does for me. And I think it's awesome. Yeah, and one of the things that, like we, and we're just going to read it one more time. This is just like any other home lab project because it becomes an addiction. You have one yeah. smart plug. Next thing you know, you have 200 smart plugs and you know the wattage of every room in your house, just like Jay does. <laughs> and he's got to feed his turtles. I mean, yes. <laughs> It's so true. I do. And not only that, but it could, it could, you could also, you know, if you're, you're not in a good mood, you want to be an a-hole or your kid's being an a-hole and they're not listening, just, just, just flip the switch on their computer to get their attention. Like if they're not like answering, it's time for dinner, right? Oh, you yeah. just home assistant, you could just like hit the switch on their computer. The computer just cuts off. You're like, well, I tried calling you, but I got your attention now. Um, yeah. It's hilarious to do that because it works and, and they hate it so much when you do that. So but, you know, we, we, we have teenagers, so, uh, right. yeah, they, they are in the rebellious phase of their life. And uh, we are in the tech phase where we can turn things off. <laughs> you know, I wonder what it's like to grow up with uh, parents that are tech savvy. I don't know what that's like personally. I am that parent, but I have to imagine that it's like, oh, my God, I can't do anything here. Like, they'll just cut my Internet off at the, the minute I, I say the wrong thing. <laughs> Yes. It, um, oh my, my, my son's friends think it's weird that dad understands memes and tech jokes. So their, uh, their parents definitely do not understand a lot of it. Uh, so well, I'm, I'm alone, I'm alone among that, which means those kids are able to get away with things that my son's like, yeah, dad's got that locked down. <laughs> yeah. It's like you have that ARP watch thing on PF sense. And then you, you, you tell your kid like, why are you bringing devices into the house and attaching them to Wi-Fi, trying to uh -huh. circumvent the firewall? I, yep. I can see the back address coming in. I know you're doing it. Um, fun times. Yep. Fun times for sure. All right. We'll be leaving links to all this. I don't think we have anything else to say about home lab other than go or home assistant other than uh, go, go get started by first couple of raspberry Pi. you know, is the base level, get one device and a month from now we'll hear back from you with about a hundred devices, but it's, 
easy to get started. It, of course, it's free. If we didn't mention that at the very beginning, this is uh, not a product that has any licensing fees or anything like that. Is I actually, you know what I didn't dig into? Is it 100% open source, top to bottom, or mostly open source? I'm pretty sure there there is a um, component you can pay for. It's um, through a company, Nabucasa, which is I always when I see it on my bill, it's like, what is that? Oh yeah, I remember now. Um, it's five dollars a month, which if you want to keyword, if you want to get outside access easily, then I, I do it just to support the project because I think it's cool, right? Um, so it is open source. There, there are some components like that. You can easily just just not do that. And I think probably people probably shouldn't do that unless they really know what they're doing about securing things. I like to have it. Um, it's just, you know, I could see what's going on in my house if I'm not home. But I'll leave that up to you guys to um, either support the project that way or not. And like Tom said, it's free, so you can just download it. Yep. Another way you can support the, that project is just buy their blue box if you want to, but you don't have to. Yeah, they do have some hardware, like you said. So if you don't want to even deal with the Raspberry Pi, you can do that. Yep, you can put on a Raspberry Pi, an Odroid, or just set up a virtual box. If you don't have a Raspberry Pi, um, do a virtual box VM if you have enough RAM to run it. That's valid. You can do that. You could. I mean, literally, the cost the cost of entry is almost zero if you um, did. If you have but some lab equipment, <laughs> something to power with it, right? But at least for the software and the end of things, running that, the cost becomes literally zero for just running a VM somewhere. Yeah, check their website though. Their uh, work instructions on how to set it up are well, well written, well documented. It it was it's not a challenge at all to do. So uh, don't be don't be scared off by the task. It's it's one two three setup type of thing. Just flash the image, plug it in a pie, and get going with it. And sometimes, and last thing I'll mention is that sometimes some of the integrations seem complicated. You look at the instructions like what like that's weird. What do they tell me to do? I get it. Just do what they say. Like it's easy. Like it might seem kind of strange. The layout is a little strange, but just follow the instructions and the documentation from top to bottom. It's going to work. It's not yep. going to be hard. It's all in your head. You maybe you're anxious or whatever. Trust me, it's actually a lot easier than it seems um, uh, from the outset. So, yeah, and in the same with the way you add devices to it, their configuration for that. They have that on a per device. They have a configuration page yeah. where they list like, oh, you bought this model device. Um, here's the steps or here's the couple settings you'll need for this model device to join it. So it's nice yeah. and straightforward. So, yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Leave feedback. Uh, you can find the feedback link down below in the description. You can find it, of course, at the homelab.show. We love hearing from you. We love getting suggestions about different things. So keep the feedback coming. And yes, we will do soon a Q&A video where we just uh, answer questions from the feedback forum combined with some live questions and address directly the people that will be on here and do it all in podcast form. Because that's one thing I will mention for those of you. Some people say, can you do more tutorials like on this? This is the podcast. Me and Jay both have our individual YouTube channels where you'll find the visual versions of the demos where we explain the different things. And of course, easy enough to find you're watching this on my channel and easy enough to find Jay's channel also linked down below. And thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you.